Hello, I'm Dave Brunner, Associate Professor in the radio program at Columbia College Chicago, and this is Living in the Time of COVID-19, a collaborative student documentary produced at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, authored by the students of the radio and audio documentary Capstone Class. What you are about to hear are several stories of everyday people dealing with the effects of the pandemic, including families who are dealing with members who contracted the virus, medical professionals, first responders, a woman trying to raise an infant in the middle of the crisis, a Zoom Seder celebration, a teacher, athletes with dreams on hold, an immigrant family, coronavirus conspiracy theories, and graduating high school and college seniors facing uncertain futures. This is Living in the Time of COVID-19. When the COVID-19 outbreak began, my family, much like the rest of this country, didn't take it all that seriously. Thankfully, we weren't as affected as the rest of the country, and we definitely weren't as affected health-wise. But when the outbreak began to spread further and faster, and schools started closing down and kicking students out of housing, my mother began to panic. So when it first started, it was like, we were sitting here watching it on TV, and it's like, man, this is crazy. You know, when you're seeing it all over in China, and then it made its way to Italy, and everything that was going on in Italy, and it's like, wow, what's, you know, what's going on? This is crazy. And it didn't seem real. And then when it started coming, you know, progressing and getting worse over there, and then it started getting, or, you know, it came to the States, and it started getting worse and worse over here, and it's like, oh, wow, I mean, this is like a worldwide thing. It's not just going to stop, you know. I mean, I know it wasn't going to stop, but this is getting, you know, a little, a little more interesting and scary. And I'm not one that panics over anything. I don't get excited about much, you know, when the kids were little, it's like, are you bleeding? You're fine, you know. Um, when you're sick, oh, orange juice and airborne. We, I never took them to the doctor. I'm not a, you know, panic person or get excited about too much. Um, but then when I had, you know, the kids were not home and they were all over the U.S. My sister Shelney goes to the University of Kansas, but was on spring break in Colorado at the same time that the government announced that if you were in the area that she had been in, that you should self-quarantine for two weeks because it was a massive hotspot for COVID-19. Well, the first time I heard about it was, um, like when we first got back, um, at the beginning of the spring semester in late January. Uh, I was seeing on, like, people's Snapchats, like, people who went to other schools, like, freaking out that they potentially had cases at, like, USC and stuff like that. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. So I was, like, looking into it, and it was kind of on my radar, I think a little bit, like, earlier than it was on most people's radar, at least. Like, that was one of the, I don't think there were even cases in the United States when people were freaking out about that. Um, and then it first started impacting me when I was on my own spring break, um, in March and um, we were in Colorado and we heard that like school was canceled and stuff like you really tell like the impact and reach it had and like how um, life really wasn't like gonna go back to normal for a bit um, and so that was really kind of scary and like we had to like put a ban on like people even talking about it over some great because like every other word that came out of people's mouths like were just concerns about you know this or that or all the things and there just still are so many unanswered questions um so there's really no purpose in even like trying to guess what could happen because like it can change literally by the minute which um kind of leaves a lot of people without a plan one of the first major cities and states to be affected by covid19 was new york which happens to be where my sister peyton is going to school at at syracuse of 
couple weeks before spring break, all of the abroad students started slowly center by center going home. So first it was everyone in Florence and then people in Madrid were sent home and then they just closed all the centers and sent them home. It was kind of a presence from before the semester started because I knew a lot of people that were supposed to go to um, China to study abroad, but that center was um, shut down for the semester due to the coronavirus. So they all switched their programs. Um, so it wasn't something that I was unfamiliar with, but I didn't think it was something that was going to affect us quite like it did. If I remember correctly, I think it was, they said that we were going to be one week of spring break and then online for the first week of school and then come back. And then I stayed on campus for a couple days to get everything packed, make sure everything was like ready in case I wasn't coming back. And then I flew home on the Monday. So the first day of spring break, I landed Chicago, get an email, we're going all online. Well, this is fun. All my stuff is still in my apartment. And I got my next flight and I land in DFW and I get the email that I have to move out by like in a week. That's not possible. <laughs> like I don't have any way to get back home. I've been tuning into class and I've been taking my notes, but just it's not the same. And like nobody was prepared for this. I have a history professor who every day his service cuts out during class and there's like nothing we can do about it and like some like he'll be in the middle of a sentence and then he just like gets kicked out of the group like gets kicked out of the session like it's just not a conducive way to learn like it's not how I learn best as well as it's very much just being lectured at like I can't like I can answer like ask my questions but it's not the same no I hate it also, none of mine are Zoom calls. It's all Blackboard Collaborate Ultra, which is like Zoom, but worse, I would say. It's essentially the same thing, but it's not used as much, which I can kind of see why, because Blackboard is kind of being used a lot right now. So, like, the connection isn't always great. Like, there's just so many people trying to get on the bandwidth. Like, for my, it works fine for my 200-person class, but for, like, my six-people class, those sometimes tend to, like, like kick one or two people out occasionally like it's really weird it, it's kind of nice because um you can share a document so like when I'm doing presentations I can send it to my professor and they can put up my powerpoint and I can click through that um they also put the notes up sometimes so um you can go through step by step and see the examples of what they're doing as they're reading through it so that's nice but it's just I feel like it's kind of a trade-off because I haven't heard of like security breaches with blackboard but mm -hmm. i have with zoom but also i've seen that sometimes zoom calls have better connection it's just making the interesting classes slightly more boring and then the boring classes even more boring it's definitely putting a lot of things up in the air like um so i'm on leadership for my sorority and we had a lot of events planned for the second half of the semester like after we came back from spring break and what seems to be happening for us is that all those events are being moved to the fall, which makes it difficult to work with like seniors and what we're going to do with them and like how we're going to respect that they did essentially lose the last quarter of their senior year, which is like not fair to them. Needless to say, our mother's typically relaxed attitude towards the outbreak slowly began to fade back into paranoia and fear that her children would get infected by this. I don't know, as I was sitting there watching the cases go up and up and the death toll go up and up and seeing what was happening in Italy and how many people were dying over there and how 
fast it was um, rising or whatever in um, New York, it started getting scary. I mean, this is something that we have never seen before and a lot of people are dying. You don't know that you walk by somebody and they've got it and you can get it and it just started getting scary with, you know, the ki nobody home. Shel Peyton in New York, Shelney in, you know, Kansas had been to Colorado where there was a big widespread of it. And Jensen was in Chicago when it was doubling every day on how many people were getting it. Wow, this is real and this is scary. And what do you, you know, what do you do? And there's nothing I can do. And it's like, what can I do to help? And so then you started seeing all this stuff about everybody needing masks. And so it's like, all right, I, don't, I have a sewing machine. I inherited it from my grandmother, you know, and it's like I have no idea how to use it, but I'm going to figure it out. So I got the sewing machine out, and I <laughs> figured it out, and I started making masks. Sent them off to uh, Jensen when he was flying back from Chicago. I, you know, sent some to my sister. I gave some to the dry cleaning guy because he's got lupus, and he comes and you know, drops the um, laundry off and picks it up and he has to go to everybody's house. And so I gave him a couple. And I think the scariest part is the, the sad thing of if you do go in the hospital, that you're by yourself. And if one of the kids got sick, I couldn't be there to help them. I couldn't be there with them. And just the thought of not being able to have someone there with you saying, you're going to be okay. It's all right. You can do this. You know, I just can't imagine being by yourself dying and there's no one there to help you, to encourage you to fight and to, you know, keep, keep fighting and go, you can do this. And I think attitude and, and love someone to, is, is a huge part of fighting things. And um, just the thought of one of my kids being in that position and me not being there to talk to him or hug him or tell him that it's, you know, it's gonna be okay is when I started getting really scared. The state of Illinois and the city of Chicago have decided elections are too important to postpone. And at 4.30 a.m., polling places are beginning to get ready to open. Ohio's elections were also scheduled for St. Patrick's Day, but have now been pushed back more than a month. By 5 a.m., voters are coming into the doors as usual, no shortened hours, and those working the polls are ready for their day. I'm sanitizing myself, washing my hands as best I can for 20 seconds. I've also been sanitizing the pens and the privacy screens, everything that's being used today, every surface that I think has been touched or that I've touched, I'm sanitizing. So I'm trying to keep everybody safe. I don't want to bring this home to myself or anybody in my house. The talk of a pandemic and extra precautions that should be taken is on the minds of voters. People are doing their best to keep their distance from one another. Still, voters are making their way to the polls. The sun is now fully up, and almost 100 people have come through to vote. Uh, I kind of thought nobody was going to show up, really, because of the pandemic that's going on. I was surprised so many people showed up, especially just the workers themselves. Inside the polling place, they first pass those who are campaigning before going down the hall and waiting until it is their turn to enter. There are no chairs in the halls to sit and wait to make sure social distancing can take place. The long and narrow room is tight with just enough space for one person at a time to register and get a ballot before moving through to an empty voting booth. 
Despite the growing worries of COVID-19, people feel it's important to be part of the democratic process. Because I think it's a necessity. The pandemic could have been avoided in November because he said that it was not now. Everybody is suffering. Presidential primaries are an important aspect of elections to voice who they feel should be the next person running our country. And it's surprising who is actually coming out to vote. But what I'm noticing is more older people are coming to vote than the young people. That, that needs to stop because it affects all of us. To her, it's crucial to vote because it's a right that was fought for. And she didn't come to vote alone. I was told to stay in the house, but I can't not come and vote. So I brought my husband, who's 89 years old, so we can vote. And once we vote, we go back in the house. That's what we'll say. On the other hand, there are those like Charlotte who believe their local elections should take precedence. Because it's not just a primary, it's also an election. If it was just a primary, I would consider... I Prefacing this with, I have never set sat out an election I've been old enough to vote for in my life. This, If it were just a primary, I would sit this out um, if I couldn't have gotten an absentee ballot in time. But since it's also an election, it's important to me to... Charlotte lives in Madison, Wisconsin, where there's been controversy over whether or not to postpone the primaries. The state legislature has decided to keep polls open, so she's taken advantage of their same-day registration policy. While preparing dinner for that night, Charlotte said Madison has been careful to make sure their voters are safe. I was really impressed with how much hand sanitizer they had out and about. Everyone going in and out of the polling places like had bandanas or scarves. Um, they had you like use the same pen and carry it around. And they had plexiglass up over everything to like so you couldn't breathe on each other, basically. Back on the south side of Chicago, a block from Midway Airport and just as close to the highway, People are noticing more than just the fact that social distancing and hand sanitizing is taking place. Close everything. It's like a expressway's like empty. Crazy. Early voting was an option others utilized as they realized that the rising health concerns will impact their exposure rate. Voting before election day has been an option for more than a month and has helped to shorten wait times on primary day. Because I figured more people would early vote. And I was kind of right, I think, because there were, like, two people there. I was in and out in, like, 15 minutes. The common feeling for those voting and working the polls is you only control so much and that voting is essential. A little shaky because they canceled the NBA. It was really shook me up, but they didn't cancel it, so I came on out. I mean, I don't offer nothing but God, so this stuff is above me. If the pandemic continues into the fall election, voting is still essential to how future health crises like this may be shaped. We can't live in fear. It is a scary situation, but we need to come out and vote because it's necessary, even though we are scared, but we're taking precautions. The Chicago primaries usually see nearly 4 million voters, but this year there were 49 percent less despite early voting. It remains to be seen just how those numbers will reflect the country in November. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect people really showing up. I especially didn't expect to see the elderly coming out in numbers like they are. But mm-hmm. it's beautiful to see people are still using their democratic rights. Hey, when you were born, no one could visit you. And you were just stuck in the house with us. And you went to the doctor and you went on a walk far away from other human beings. That's what you did. This is Anne-Christine Day, currently at home on maternity leave. She's trying to wrap her mind around how she's going to explain 2020 to her newborn daughter, Juliana. 
you met just a handful of people. No one was kissing you on the face. It's crazy. Those two are safely nestled down at home, but her husband Kevin is on a rotating shift as a first responder working for the fire department. The fire engine follows along to an emergency, but unless absolutely necessary, they are instructed to remain on the truck. He explains what it's like to respond to a situation where someone later tests positive for COVID-19. It's gotten to the point where it's happening like multiple times a day. You kind of just have to do your best to protect yourself and then make sure you clean everything and clean up when you get back to the station and then just shower and go home. You kind of just have to do the best you can and hope for the best. The first responders are face to face with the virus. We literally have to spray everything down with like bleach solution, like multiple times a day, any areas that get touched. It's pretty crazy. Like the amount of time that we have to spend doing that after every single call and then multiple times throughout the day just to keep our like living area clean as well. The virus has intruded on the daily lives of Ankerstein and Kevin's. But most importantly, it's changed how their daughter came into this world. Towards the end of her pregnancy, Ankerstein had to navigate it completely alone. So at the hospital I was delivering at and had my appointments, they wouldn't let him come with me. Um, to the last few appointments. They said, only whoever's appointment it is, you can't, you cannot bring your children, you cannot bring your spouse, etc. So it's like he was there with me the whole way through. Um, and then all of a sudden at the very end for like the most important appointments, he couldn't be at. In delivery, they were allowed one support person. So Kevin was permitted access. But Ann Christine says the entire hospital was on complete lockdown. The rippling effects of the pandemic at home and at work has made getting supplies exceedingly difficult. When I'm feeding her in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m., all of a sudden items will become available because nobody's shopping at that time. Even just to get time slots for grocery delivery, like, there's not much available. For example, I placed an order a few days ago and I'm not going to get it like between when I placed it and when the groceries will actually be here, it's a full two weeks. The N95 masks that we would typically wear, we'd have to reuse those for multiple calls at the beginning because they were all sold out. Typically, you'd be using a new mask on every call and then just throw it out, use another one. But there's not enough and there's so many of these calls that we need to use these masks on that we just got to try to use them as sparingly as possible. On the flip side, they have found the situation to be an opportunity to spend time with their family that they wouldn't have had otherwise. An optimistic view for a change. We hear from a lot of people, especially at the hospital right after they're born, of just a flood of visitors and not being able to get any time together or any rest. So that's actually been kind of nice. Aunt Christine has a very relatable way of looking at the situation. You know, it's like, it's a bummer for everybody else to not have anywhere to go. I said, but I was expecting to not go anywhere for this whole time. And now I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. <laughs> Staying optimistic is their goal. But there's no doubt this has been a roller coaster for Ann Christine. Just normal life, you would never think this would happen. But especially like, oh, hey, we're having our first child. And then this is what she's coming into. Maybe what is best learned from Kevin and Ann Christine is that spending time with your family is the greatest thing we can do during these days. It's a crazy time to have a baby or just to be alive in general. <laughs>
including relationships, jobs, and finances, which have all been affected in ways like none other before. For two sisters working as respiratory therapists in Chicago, stress comes from both COVID-19 and each other's safety. My name is Shirin Nasser and I'm a respiratory therapist. I've been working as a respiratory therapist for almost three years now. It will be three years in June, inshallah. Working at a hospital during this time definitely makes me more cautious. Right when I come home, I'll wash my hands and then uh, I'll jump in the shower and just like making sure all my stuff from work that I bring home is clean. Shireen recalls her first time caring for a COVID-19 patient and how she was nervous to have their lives in her hands when so little is known about this virus. It was in this experience that Shireen realized just how serious this virus actually is. It was the night before my birthday, so I was working into morning of my birthday and I was assigned the COVID patient. And this was before like, oh, we're getting like so many coronavirus patients. Like we, we only had a few at that time. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to put on and take off all my isolation gear. Cause there's like a certain way you have to do it. So you don't like cause any cross contamination. As nervous as Shireen was, nothing could have prepared her for what she was about to see when she walked into that hospital room. I was just like taken back by how actually sick the patient was. So it was like so like a surreal moment for me, like, oh my God, this patient like actually has it. And he couldn't have like any family visiting him or like he was just alone. So I think that's what really opened my eyes and made me think like, okay, this is like for real, like this is a big deal. Shireen has many worries working in a hospital COVID-19 unit. A lack of supplies and equipment is a given, but she also fears doctors might not always abide by the rules. We shouldn't be putting ourselves at risk um, or even more at risk since coming to work alone right now is a risk in itself. Um, but I feel like a lot of people don't realize that healthcare workers are humans just like you and we are at risk every day and we're taking care of these patients and we're not immune to this. Like this is definitely taking a toll on a lot of us right now. Working in the COVID-19 unit is definitely a scary task for a respiratory therapist like Shireen. But it's also a scary task for her sister Neda, who has only been working for about a year now. Netta is still mind-blown by the reality that she has to keep the same equipment on all day unless it rips. The fact that we're reusing gowns, reusing masks, it's just like you, you wouldn't think that a trauma one hospital would get to that point where like they were afraid of losing equipment. It's like shocking. Another sad reality at the hospital is that this is all routine now. People are just, I think, used to it. I mean, it's been going on for however many I think like six weeks it's been going on so people definitely have like a system now like we walk in we get our temperatures checked at the door you get your mask for the day your surgical mask not your super tight N95 um, and that's the mask that you have to wear around the hospital um, when you're not wearing your tight mask in the rooms. Nada knows this is her job and sometimes that means she has to think about the patient first. Like I had like a moment where like I had to run into a room and like the way I threw on my equipment like it probably wasn't you know the best way but like because a patient needed me I needed to run into that room like you your own safety sort of goes out the window sometimes just because you're like I need to get in the room I need to go to the patient. One of the biggest factors causing an increase of patients is the general misuse of personal protective equipment. 
not everyone is going out wearing gloves and even if they're wearing gloves how often do they change those gloves they'll be wearing them from inside of their car until they get back inside of their car after touching everything that they've touched like people aren't switching out their gloves in the middle of every everything that they're touching so you just you don't know what people are taking home with them and i think that's the scary thing you know Nada wonders about the long-lasting effects of COVID-19. Like, can we get through this together? Or how much are we going to have to adapt to a new normal? Like, even, like, in the hospital, we're thinking, like, oh, are we always, at all times, going to have, like, a COVID unit, a COVID ICU? Like, will that always need to be a thing? We don't know if this is just, like, something seasonal. Like, is it going to come back next year? Is it going to come back even harder next year? Like, you don't know if it's always going to be around. Although these times are challenging to get through, Shireen and Nada both rely heavily on faith in God to keep themselves sane during these unpredictable times. I just want to, would like to end with a couple ayahs from the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فإن مع العصر يسرى إن مع العصر يسرى So indeed, with every hardship comes ease. And Allah says twice, he guarantees that with hardship comes ease. So, you know, inshallah, during this time, we all just put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have faith that he'll protect us and our loved ones. And uh, may we all come out of this dark time with ease. Amin. So right now we're noticing that all the Target employees are really diligent about disinfecting the carts. As soon as we walked in, they have an employee here that's cleaning carts and disinfecting, welcoming you, really wanting to make sure that people know that it's a safe environment. This is my mom. And like her, I'm very shocked and surprised to see how very few customers are in Target right now as we shop and look for groceries and other toiletries so we can make sure that we have everything that we need during these tough times. While some shelves are empty and others aren't, I talked to my brother to see what his reaction is while we're shopping around the store. There's a lot of uh, precautions being taken, you know, people are uh, people are being a lot more careful. You know, people stocking up on toilet paper, disinfectants, all that. Hand sanitizer. Food-wise, I don't see anything sold out yet, but we haven't gotten that far into the store yet. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that we'll see a lot of uh, non-perishable food that's sold out. Yeah. Mac and cheese, uh, soup. You know, really a lot of canned goods. But there's uh, there's arrows on the floor. Like, you go in this way, but you can't go out the same way you came in, all that stuff. And there's a lot of, uh, the aisles look a, a tiny bit wider. And that's just something that I noticed. That might be just me, but they look a little wider. Compared to, like, how it normally is crowded, because I know that sometimes whenever me and Kayvon go to the store, usually it's pretty crowded, especially around this time since, you know, students are graduating. And it's particularly interesting because people don't really want to say hello or they're scared to have a conversation because they just this virus is unknown so I think the normal cordialness of hello how are you doing is lost because people are just trying to stay in their lane and not quote unquote infect anyone other observations that I've made in the store is that I'm looking at the store has done a really good job at reminding us to social distance like if you look at the floor there are blue directional arrows. So normally you'd be able to walk up and down an aisle either way, but you have to go a specific direction one way or the other. They're just trying to minimize the traffic in the aisles. And then there's big red circles that remind people six feet away, social distancing. There are announcements that are 
being played in the store. So those are some immediate differences that I've noticed. And I will also add that um, I think it really makes a difference in particular when you come in a store. Like right now we're in the store pretty early in the morning. So you don't see a whole lot of people, but I've seen that there's been a line out the door because they're, limit, they're limiting the number of people that can come in. And then once people leave, they'll let other people in. But um, yeah, so right now there was no line to get in the store because it's early. But I'm sure by midday, there'll be a line constantly all day because people are up and trying to get into the store. Yeah, and it was a line, a constant line. Luckily, we live across the street from Target, so we can see out of our window the line that's still there. So we chose not to go yesterday because there were just so many people. But this morning we're in. There are not many people around. We're practicing social distancing and being very careful. Right. And you're right now shopping for office supplies. And I, I see compared to non-perishable items and toiletries, like office supplies are not really out of stock. Like you're buying, what are you buying? Yeah, envelopes? I'm buying some 8 by 10 padded envelopes, which are thankfully in stock. After spending about nearly an hour in Target, we got the groceries that we needed, along with the toiletries. We got more toilet paper, more paper towels, more soap, a cereal, waffles, and syrup. And milk. The most important thing is that the three of us stayed safe, healthy, and well aware of our surroundings. And I think we all can do that for a remainder of time until we can all go back out and do what we normally did. With that, stay safe, stay healthy. You're listening to Living in the Time of COVID-19 on WCRX 88.1 Chicago. While everyone is living life sheltered in their place, my family is living with a disease. My grandfather and my father both had COVID-19. And my father would say my grandfather was sick me first. And he was in the hospital for something else. The hospital called us about 12.30 a.m. on the 1st of April, saying that he had the virus. He had a fever, pneumonia, temperature was up and down, and he was... Uh, on oxygen. He didn't have a ventilator, but he was on oxygen. After the hospital found out my grandfather was tested positive for COVID-19, my grandmother and my dad had to be self-quarantined for 14 days. In the meanwhile, nobody could see my grandfather at all. My grandfather was not responding to anything. Because they wouldn't let any, anyone in the hospital to uh, interact with him. He was not responsible for probably about seven days, eight days. It might have been a little longer because we would call and they would call us, you know, two, three times a day to give us a response on how he was doing. It was always the same. He was sleeping a lot. They had to force feed him to take his medicine. They had to put it, smash it up and put it into applesauce and other stuff for him to, you know, to eat. And each day his oxygen level would go, it would raise up from like 10 liters down to seven, back to nine. Then it gradually went to five. Then it gradually went to two, back up to five, and then back up to one. And then eventually he was breathing on his own without the oxygen. After my grandmother and my dad, 14 days of quarantine was over, my dad started feeling symptoms. Ninth day, I started feeling congestion in the chest, which I thought was like a chest cold that I could just take some medicine in. Uh, then I started walking up 12 steps. And once I got up to 12 steps, it was really hard for me to breathe. Like I was running 
a marathon. But my dad ended up calling his doctor and telling him what was going on. And then the doctor gave him some pills and it should have kicked it out. He gave me this medicine called Z Z Pack. Z Pack, which is like three pills you take uh for three days, and it should basically break up the congestion in your chest, which really didn't work. <clears throat> After that, I started taking Mucinex. I started steaming every night over a pot of like lemon, orange peels, garlic, and a drop of uh, peppermint oil for about 15 minutes, twice a day in the morning and afternoon. Sometimes I do it three times a day and I would drink a lot of tea, a lot of herbal tea. Uh, it was helping, it was clearing up. So when my grandfather came home, he didn't remember anything. Uh, he has no memory of what happened while he was in the hospital. So before he even can go back to work, he had to go get tested so he can start back working. And he went to go get tested in Markham and they told him three to four days before he get his results back. That Monday, and uh, which was the 20th. Then the 22nd or 23rd, they called me and said I tested positive for the test, but I didn't have the severe symptoms as of fever, the temperature, I still had the chest congestion and the shortness of breath. Um, also, my doctor had gave me a um, inhaler for asthma folks that, you know, when you're short as breath, you just pump it a couple of times and inhale and it's supposed to loosen up your lungs. <clears throat> I had to do another 14 days again. So that was almost just about a month. Gradually, I started getting better. I started going a little natural with sea moss, gel, edelberries. You know, in my tea, and it to me, I think that really helped a lot. So my dad is doing better, and he said he may want to do another week of self quarantine. I still got the little tightness in the chest, but it's not as severe as two weeks ago. Um, I'm still doing the the tea, the steam, the vitamins. Maybe because the 14 days to me really is not enough time because different people, different body, you know. It, effects to different folks it, it different po folks have different body types so for by you saying 14 days i don't think that's good enough for some folks it took me a little longer basically a month maybe a month and a couple of weeks to tell you the truth uh for me to try to get over and like i said i'm still got the tail end of the virus and this happened on april 1st here it is may so it's taking me a little longer to get rid of this virus than some people, uh, something that they say, things that they say 14 days. So uh, still being quarantined, still doing what I'm supposed to do. Hopefully by next week, I could be back at 100%. Uh, this is no joke. This is no joke. I know friends that had all the sickness and was in the hospital with with the, with the respirator and thought that they were going to really die and was praying that prayer to God just to take them away because it was it was so bad that they couldn't even move <clears throat> but they came out of this is a serious matter that a lot of people is not taking seriously um I don't wish this on nobody <laughs> nobody and, and I thank God that I only had the little symptoms that I had and not as severe that I had to go check myself into the emergency room, the hospital and go through all the testing. So, and that's my story.
like life has to stop, but life can't stop. When you find like a purpose and something to do, you're like, okay, I have a focus. But when you don't have a focus, it's like the world just kind of crushes. And that's how I feel a lot. Holding it, holding it together. I have good days. I have bad days. And it is, it is a thing. When more closing started happening and okay, well, we can't go to the park and you can't go to your friend's house and we can't go here or here or here. And now it's, you can't even go to the grocery store with your children. It's almost like a never ending Saturday, which is great. My name is Jamie Spears. I am 35 years old as of like three weeks ago. I live in Roscoe, Illinois, and I am a teacher. My daily life under quarantine. I wake up in the morning without an alarm from my phone, which is what normally happens. My alarm is two tiny people that crawl into bed with me and immediately demand I get them this breakfast or that breakfast or turn on this TV. And they don't care if I want to sleep. They want to be fed. So I must feed them. We go downstairs and we eat and then we try to do some type of schooling and there's usually some arguments and some fighting and I'm trying to do my work while they're trying to do their work. There's a lot of snacks. There's some house projects. There's not a lot of anything else. (laughs) And then we have dinner, we watch a movie and we go to bed. For me personally, the most difficult part has been the stuck in one place without any break. Um, As a mother of two young children who have a love-hate relationship with each other, as most siblings do, um, they, they need breaks. They need to be able to go play with other children, or my youngest needs to go to daycare and listen to some other adult for a period of time, and I don't have that option. So constantly mitigating their fight, trying to do my own work, trying to take care of a house, be a good mother, a good wife, do some self-care. Not all of that is possible at one time. And I get very overwhelmed with everything that needs to be done and the conflicting messages I see on social media and the news and my own personal train of thoughts that I'm not doing enough and I need to do better, but I need to be calm and caring to myself, but I need to do more. And my mental train of thought has gone from a train with hills to a full-on roller coaster. Yeah, my my motivation has really fallen off <laughs> the cliff. Um, I personally was training for a half marathon, and I had started training in January and had done a few rounds of being sick and being behind in training. And I was making sure I had my stuff and trying to catch up on my miles after work and getting up in the morning and doing my cross training or my strength training around like 5 a.m. And now that obviously my race has been canceled and I'm stuck at home, um, I'm not running. Who runs? There's no point. I can't run my race. I can't get my medal. 5 a.m. is really stinking early. I ain't getting up at 5 a.m. because I stayed up till 11 watching who knows what randomly strange documentary is big this week on Netflix. And I didn't go to sleep like a normal person. So I'm not waking up at five. And that aspect of a routine has gone out the window. You know, normally as a teacher, I have to have my lessons planned and activities ready for my students the following week. And with virtual teaching that we're doing, I'm supposed to have my lessons done by Friday afternoon, all of my activities posted by Friday afternoon. But I'll be lucky if I get posted by Friday night. My administrator is very understanding. 
so I'm pretty lazy. Oh, I'll get this done later, or I'll wash those dishes tomorrow. And tomorrow was supposed to be three weeks ago, but now there's no deadline and there's no accountability, I feel like, anymore. Where before there was a structure, there seemed to be deadlines, there seemed to be events that I had to have things done by. Now there is no deadlines. It's a never ending Saturday. Monday means nothing. I have an eight year old and a three year old. My eight year old is in second grade. He has transitioned fairly well. He was very excited for the first week, and then it has kind of gone downhill for him. He doesn't really see a point in doing things well. The way we have helped him structure his day, if he gets his schoolwork done and his chores done, then he can play video games. And in his mind, the faster I get that done, the more video games I can play, which makes sense, except that the work that he does is rushed and crap. And then um, he gets to play his games. But if we call him on his crap and make him fix it, he's then mad at us and he's angry and emotional and we end up taking the video games away and it just becomes a whole thing. Um, my three-year-old wants to go see his daycare provider. Um, she is essentially his second mother and she, she has raised both of my children. I owe her, I owe her so much personally to do what I can do because she does what she does. Um, my children have the benefit of being raised by two mothers who are loving and caring and fantastic. And he misses playing with his friends. He doesn't quite get it other than he gets to have mommy all the time. Whether mommy's doing work or not, he gets to have mommy. Some centers in my area are still open and functioning because they are open for um, essential workers. Many nurses and other, other people whose jobs have not stopped still need to send their kids to daycare. So more of the public facilities are open where home facilities, um, I think, have been mandated to close. We are stuck in our houses. We have been shut down. And it's very surreal watching this play out through the whole world. I have been very, very blessed in that myself, my immediate family, my extended family have not been affected by COVID. They do not have it. They have not been hospitalized, but we are following various regulations to avoid that. So I'm very thankful for that. But watching this play out has just been so strange that in the year 2020, with all of our modern whatevers, a virus can still stop life. I live in a sort of a split between suburban rural type community. I have, I'm, you know, less than 10 minutes from a grocery store. I have, my husband and I are still working. We have not lost our jobs. We have not been furloughed. We are still getting regular paychecks and full benefits. But I know there are many out there whose lives have shifted drastically. I want to do what I can to help, but I also want to make sure that I'm not sacrificing my family in order to help. Thank you for letting me be a voice here that being a, a working mother, where I'm still supposed to work a job and raise children and feed, feed them. They have to apparently eat every day. I fed them yesterday. Why are they eating again today? I've been doing the impossible, essentially. Today's a good day. I took my meds. It's going to be fine. In the heat of this crisis, there has been a Twitter hashtag floating around known as Film Your Hospitals. 
it's home to a lot of skepticism. While some of the theories are reasonable, some are on the uh, more creative side. I'd like to set the scene with some music. The score for this entire piece is all from Deus Ex, a sci-fi title from 2000 rooted in conspiracy theories. The main curiosity revolves around what's going on inside hospitals. This is one I myself was very curious about. So, I decided to call Northwestern Medical. I wanted audio inside, and what they told me was no. They weren't allowing any media inside their walls. No cameras, no audio, no nothing. So did any other news source get inside? I called NBC. Hello, and thank you for calling. Tip line at NBC 5, WMAQ, Chicago. If you have a tip for a message, data press 1 to record your message. I'm really curious if anybody has seen a hospital there, if anybody's recorded one, but uh, call me back. No luck. So on that, I did some digging. I found a video from March by the New York Times. Dr. Colleen Smith, one of the ER doctors at a New York hospital, managed to get some footage inside, showing shortages. You know, we now have these five vents. We probably, you know, unless people die, I, I suspect we'll be back to needing to beg for ventilators again in another day or two. There's a mythical hundred vents out there, which we haven't seen. Perpetuated lies. Leaders in various offices, from the president to the head of health and hospitals, saying things like, we're going to be fine, everything's fine. And from our perspective, everything is not fine. I don't have the support that I need and even just the materials that I need physically to take care of my patients. And it's, it's America. And we're supposed to be a first world country. Of course. This is a video from March, two months ago. We've been in quarantine for these past two months. Have the shortages gotten better? Or were they still going on? So I decided to call the one doctor I knew could give it to me straight. The one that's been giving it to me straight for years. Rogers Medical, my childhood doctor's office. So we go through, you know, medical suppliers. We go through vendors that we use that are, you know, actual medical vendors. So it's, it is a problem. Like, I mean, it's huge. I think they're working on fixing it, but, you know, unfortunately a lot of stuff is coming from China and we're learning our lesson not to buy everything from China. But I think, I think the, red, the, 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 like, ventilators and all those, I think those are pretty good. I think they have, I think they resolved that issue. It's just probably, you know, just, just supp general supplies. I think that they're getting better. I mean, I think they're, the hospitals are being stocked up. I, mean, I think, it's, you know, we're all kind of waiting for this to go away. And we pray to God that it goes away soon because another month we're going to explode. April was like, okay, April. Now it's, you know, this, the order is over with. Now we have, you know, another four weeks of this. You know, mental health and, you know, suicide up and, and you know, it's rising. And my daughter lives in the city and somebody just jumped off their balcony. I mean, it happens. But, you know, I mean, somebody literally jumped off the balcony. This is from a guitarist I follow known as John Gum. 
My cousin Sue works in a care home that just had two positive C19 tests. She isn't being given a PPE and is trying to source her own. If you can access a respirator mask, like a 3M8833 or similar, please reply. The shortage with masks has gotten so bad that doctors have started having to source their own masks just to protect themselves from the virus. I talked a bit about Film Your Hospitals earlier. That's where a lot of these theories and skeptics tend to kind of live. A lot of the theories are a bit more creative than the one I had just talked about. Here are a few of the common ones, and a few very bizarre ones. Mexican Mafia Storms Hospital Claiming Coronavirus is Government Conspiracy. This is an article from the New York Post. And someone on Twitter is saying, right there with the Mexican mob, agree 200%. Here in the Netherlands, they're not hiding it anymore. Police squad in front of hospitals because we raided it so many times and confronted the lying doctors and fake news. Imagine trusting this MF with your health after the truth comes out. Hashtag Filbier Hospitals is banned. Nurse exposes NYC hospitals for killing blacks. This is on YouTube. This one just says the pandemic is fake and there's a bunch of nurses dancing during the coronavirus and they're all on TikTok doing a little dance thing. There's a lot of TikToks on hashtag film your hospitals and I'm very curious if they were filmed during the quarantine or if they were posted before it. This is a guy who was admitted to a hospital and he is in the ER right now and it is completely dead. My thought is that a lot of it is either in areas where hospitals are dead, like again Montana, places where there's not a lot of it, places that aren't big cities, places with a less dense population. If you take a look at hashtag filmyourhospitals on Twitter, you can definitely tell that people are starting to get riled up even to where they are going to riot at hospitals and trying to storm them. So it's very interesting to see how people react, especially after long periods of isolation. Like my doctor said, after long periods of isolation, mental health starts to become an issue. Someone throwing themselves off a balcony, people starting to wonder if this is all in their head. One thing's for certain though, everybody just wants to be let out of their cage. The restaurant industry has been greatly affected during this time. While carry-on and delivery options are still available, employees' hours are being cut and business owners are struggling to make ends meet. Larry Formella is a line cook at Heroes West Restaurant in Joliet, Illinois, and he has seen some dramatic changes at work. We did break social distancing orders to obtain this interview, but both of us were healthy and wore masks, so we felt confident that we would not be putting each other in danger. So how has coronavirus affected business at your restaurant? We've obviously had to close the doors to the public, but we're still doing um, catering and deliveries. So it's not affecting us on a major scale, but
but it is definitely it definitely has taken a toll. Kyle Schneider is a pizza delivery driver, and he now has to take several precautions in order to ensure the safety of himself and his customers. My position in the workplace has been affected by wearing gloves and sanitizing them as we approach to the store in between deliveries. Also, we have to wear face masks at all times, and when we arrive to the store, we have to wash our hands and then apply the gloves. Something else we don't do is have signatures. Sometimes we uh, leave the deliveries at the porch and the customers will pick it up once you ring the doorbell or call them. And some people have even left their tips and envelopes taped to their window. Constant sanitization of kitchens by the staff is now a paramount task. I still prep. I still, especially lately, we've been like aggressively cleaning and reorganizing. We definitely have taken a much bigger step towards like really making sure that every inch of the restaurant is spotless and clean. Employees' hours are being cut, and with that comes a much smaller paycheck. Have your work hours been affected at all? Has your paycheck been affected? Oh, totally. Um, the first couple weeks, my hours dropped from 40 hours a week to not even 30 hours a week. And then um, at a certain point, I wasn't actually scheduled at all for a whole week. We're still very, very slow. Well, when the coronavirus first came around, business was going really slow for about the first week. And then moving deeper into the situation, uh, people have been ordering from us a lot more to the point where we have had people coming in for shifts on days they don't normally work as delivery drivers and a couple of uh, cooks more on days they don't normally come in. It's a little harder to actually pay for all the things that I need to take care of, like bills and insurance and all that. So it is, it's very disappointing, but I, I'm still managing. I can still manage. A term we hear in the news a lot is essential worker, and while some of these employees feel like they're being exploited, others understand their importance. I do feel like an essential worker because I feel like some people that are sick, they might not want to go out and get groceries or they might not have someone to go out and get food for them, and they need to order food, and that's what the no-contact delivery is for, mostly. I mean, some people just don't want to contact the drivers as well, but if somebody was sick, they also don't want to come in contact with us as well. Now, do you see this continuing even after the coronavirus? Or do you think it's going to go completely back to normal where you're just meeting the people at the door and, like, you know, doing the regular thing? Well, right after the coronavirus, I think that we're going to have to ease back into normal society traditions due to people just still being uh, afraid of it. I'm sure some people will still ask for no contact, which would also have no signature. So obviously it's a huge disaster. Um, it's not something that's affected me uh, so personally, but it is very upsetting. I mean, it's pretty uh, dangerous, I'd say, to be out delivering, and it is sketchy. I'm not a fan of being out, but uh, I don't mind being in the workplace, especially with the precautions we're taking. And during this time of social distancing, it's hard to simply stay social. How has this affected you just personally? It actually has taken kind of a toll on me because um, I've gotten to a better state mentally just before the virus came to came into the picture. Like I was kind of secluding myself 
because of personal issues, but I actually did become more um, positive and like I have a more positive mindset. And I was actually going out and see, like, hanging out with people that I haven't seen in or talked to in, like, weeks. So I was going out. I was having fun with people. I was having fun with my friends and actually socializing, having a social life. But now with the virus, like, taking a toll on everybody and we're all quarantined, it's really hard to actually just keep in contact. No one knows when or how this is going to end, or how it will affect our lives in the future. The best thing we can do now is sit tight, reach out to our loved ones, and try to stay as safe as we can. Passover 2020. We're living through what many are referring to this year as the 11th plague, COVID-19. With the pandemic sweeping the nation and lockdown orders across the country, my brother organized a Zoom meeting for the family. That way, we could still have our traditional chaotic Passover Seder. Dainu. It's a song that's part of the Passover Seder. It's also a Hebrew word that translates to, it would have been enough. Now, that version you just heard, that's not my family singing Dainu. This is my family singing Dainu. We sing it loud and proud as we go around the table, or in this case, box by box in the Zoom meeting. We each say what we're thankful for and burst into song, which we ruled this year should be between each box's turn. Modern problems call for modern solutions. Due to the effects of the coronavirus outbreak, there were a couple themes this year. I'm thankful that we still have our jobs, yeah, and that we're all very healthy. Freya's healthy. I'm very thankful for, yeah, also keeping our jobs. I'm extremely thankful I have a job. Just thankful that none of us have COVID-19 at the moment. Um, I know a few people that do have it and probably won't make it, which is really unfortunate, and they have to be alone. So I'm thankful that we're all happy and healthy, and hopefully all of us will make it, it through this. We were also thankful for our dogs. Oh, our dogs. Which somehow led to an inappropriate comment about a chihuahua, and the crowd went wild. We celebrated each other's victories, like my cousin Ben passing an important exam. And my cousin Nathaniel's wrestling achievements. Over 100, over 100 wins? Let's go champion! I think Ben missed his sports a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And one of my cousins showed recognition for something that means so much to me. 
Eva, I miss you so much, and I'm so happy that we can still join you, even though you're so far away. And I'm sorry that we can, sorry that we're going to miss your graduation. We were really looking forward to that, and I'm sorry we can't come and see you in Chicago. But so proud of you and everything you've worked so hard to achieve. And I'm so, you know, it's unfortunate that you can't walk the stage like you've always been looking forward to. But so proud of yourself that you've done so well and worked so hard to get here. As I listened back to the recording of our Seder, my heart felt so full. I listened to how much we laughed together and how much we love each other. I realized how much this tradition means to my family and Jewish people. By observing it, we're honoring our ancestors and how much we've been through collectively. The Seder is a moment to enjoy each other's company, break matzah, tell stories, and sing together. We talk about gratitude and pay respect to the struggles we've survived. This Passover, during one of the darkest times in modern history, my family's light shined brighter than ever. I like to think that centuries ago, this tradition helped others see light in the darkness too. <laughs> You're listening to Living in the Time of COVID-19 on WCRX 88.1, Chicago. Dreams provide us with the vision of where we want to go. Sometimes they can be considered a blueprint for your future life. Dreams occupy the space of your mind and when you realize that they're no longer just aspirational, you can achieve your goals. So... What happens to a dream deferred? A great Harlem Renaissance poet by the name of Langston Hughes asked this question. For some people, there might be a feeling of emptiness, but for others, it may push them to work harder to set out to accomplish this dream. The pandemic has put many dreams at halt or destroyed them, unfortunately, but for some, the hope is still alive. Young athletes who dreamed of walking across stage to grab their jersey after they were drafted had to sit at home while the NFL draft was streamed for all the owners' houses that were making selections. It's almost that same feeling for many of us in the class of 2020 who won't be able to walk across the stage this May. Mike is a student at DePaul graduating this upcoming fall semester. He had the chance of a lifetime to work for his dream team. But because of the virus, everything changed. I was having a, like, I had just got hired by the Cubs. I was looking forward to working for the Cubs. You know, I had, I just, I just got done with working All-Star Weekend, which is freaking awesome, by the way. I don't know if you remember seeing my snaps, but that was pretty much the coolest thing I've ever worked was All-Star Weekend. And, you know, it's like you, you do that type of stuff and then you learn, then you miss it, you know? If you don't see the dramatic irony that happened with you as soon as you got hired by the Cubs, bro, that might just be a sign. That the Cubs are just that bad, bro. <laughs> At least Mike stays lighthearted during this time. His dream job might have been put on hold, but he had came this close to contracting the virus itself. I'm glad my friend's okay and didn't contract the virus, but the same can't be said for those who are playing on the court. Another friend who I met during my time attending Columbia was training on his way to become a mixed martial artist. I wondered how his training regimen changed and how this was affecting his mental. He's always been a very spiritual-oriented guy. Santino Strong. What a great name for a pro fighter, right? 
I'm good, man. Been peaceful, man. Just been with the family. Just been staying safe like everybody else, you know. When we when we last linked up downtown, you were training for MMA. Um, tell 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 us about that. How how was your experience training for MMA? It was cool, man. Like like I said, like I had you know, and I still do have a lot of things uh, going for me right after graduation. And mixed martial arts was definitely one of my passions. It was some that I couldn't wait to do. And now that uh, school was over and I had the time. Specifically jujitsu. I was taking uh some jujitsu classes at uh Valco, BJJ's downtown. And it it jujitsu is just like wrestling. So it's like such a close uh contact type of uh athletic sport. So I already knew like instantly the bigger and bigger and the closer Corona came to Chicago, that was that was over with. Even uh like I was taking like a couple of Muay Thai classes for like uh to learn like kickboxing. And like if you know anything about fighters, like fighters are like still like sneaking and like getting their way around the gym. Like you can still like hit pads and stuff like with your trainer. Yeah. But like with the social distance thing, it's like it's no longer classes. So how do you counter that like how do you stay productive like how do you stay in shape tino stays active and fit by doing exercises called calisthenics which relies solely on your body weight by doing these high intensity workouts at home he hopes by the time this pandemic is over he can get back to fine swimming his striking and grappling before his first match it's that fighter spirit which we all strive for not to give up on situations around us might not seem so bright if there's anything you're not happy with in your life, it can be changed. It might take time, patience, and hard work, but it can be done, said Andrew Quo. So for all dreamers who feel like life is on pause, time stands still for no one. This pandemic may feel like a curse, but it's truly a blessing in disguise. This is the time for you to show how you adapt and overcome the obstacles that are in your way. Despite the hardships that essential workers and undocumented immigrants have, they still prevail to provide for their families during this pandemic. And Monica is no exception to this. Okay, my name is Monica. Speaking to her and her daughters about her status as a working immigrant during this time helped to shine a light on another type of essential worker. For any undocumented immigrant like Monica coming to the U.S., it's not uncommon to hear about how much one will work to stay here. So we've always seen her work. It's actually seeing her now at, during this pandemic now work is weird for me because she's always working. This is her older daughter, Gabby. She knows how much her mother works, even in troubling times like this. My job since I arrived in the United States has been ironing, like dry cleaning. I've been working there for about 26 years. Just because a pandemic rises does not mean that working ever stops for Monica. She continues to provide as much as she can, since unemployment is not really an option for her. 
Thankfully, her daughters, Gabby and Jenny, are able to file and continue getting paid through the government or other means. I am happy that, you know, I'm a citizen as well, so I can apply for unemployment and provide for myself and my family if I need to. For me, I wish she would have everything that she wanted, obviously. But right now, I wish she can file for unemployment so that we could at least have a stable income for now until this is all over. Some businesses had to cut down their staff or completely close. Since Monica was already being paid differently due to her undocumented status, only her payment has changed because of COVID-19. Well, obviously one expects to receive a check every week. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, the work has been reduced. So now we only work two days out of the week without pay because our boss doesn't pay us until this is all over. Sadly, she's unsure of whether continuing to work will benefit her in the end, and whether she'll receive the payments that are even owed to her. Well, he said because there isn't money. I go to work like this because I feel like it's a way of saving up. I hope he does pay us. He says yes. He gave us $100 this week and last week. I feel like the money is saved up, but I don't know. Other than her paycheck being a problem, anybody who chooses to work during a pandemic faces the potential of coming into contact with the virus. Just hoping for the best that she doesn't come in contact with someone who's sick. I worry. I call her all the time to make sure she's okay, you know. I think the question stands of whether this is all worth it to any undocumented immigrant. Having to still provide and work at a time like this, will it all be worth the American dream at this point? Porque... Because my life is built here. I have my kids here, my kids have their life here, and after their lives are here, I have my grandkids. To go back to Mexico means nothing there. So even though I don't have an elegant home or luxury, I prefer to be here in the company of my kids. Even in troublesome circumstances, life moves on for Monica in America. This has become a home for her. Her status still may be undocumented, but she's working just as hard like anybody else in this country during COVID-19. This doesn't change the fact that many still have ill feelings towards undocumented immigration. Discrimination is not just right now because of the pandemic. It's something that happens all the time. But even so, Monica still pushes forward. Yeah, she's the one that's positive all the time. As an undocumented immigrant, working diligently during this pandemic. It's hard, but we all get used to it. This happens to all human beings. Many schools have been continuing to educate students in whatever capacity they still can, such as online, while other schools have been forced to shut down entirely. This can be frustrating for anyone in school right now, but even more so for seniors who have been working for four years, some even longer, to walk at their graduation. These people are right in the middle of one of the biggest transitions of their lives, and at the worst possible time. So I had a virtual sit-down with a couple of college seniors from two different departments. Meet TJ and Alex. At time of recording, they're slated to graduate in about a week. I wanted to get a handle on how this was affecting them personally, so I started by asking them what their post-graduation plans had been prior to quarantine. My plans 
after graduation were to apply to as many jobs as possible in the Chicagoland area. Um, that hasn't prevented me from doing so during quarantine. But not being able to go into the career center on campus um, is really strange to me. I, I've had the virtual tours, or I mean virtual advising sessions, but they're just not the same as like human to human contact. Before I was like, all right, cool. I'm I'm gonna probably work at a radio station, or there's a um, really big audiobook company in Grand Haven actually called Brilliance Audio, and they work for Amazon. I was like, maybe I'll work there. And when I was looking at jobs the other day, the only thing available is like Photoshop related positions. So I'm going. Before I had all kinds of ideas, and now I'm kind of lost. Clearly, their original plans were no longer feasible. So what are their plans now? At this point, just finding a job around here that isn't on an assembly line. That's basically where I'm putting it at. I'm a little anxious, for sure. Um, I don't feel as confident. Uh, I'm still going to have to search for a job. Uh, I've been looking on Indeed, networking with friends and seeing, like, you know, if they have any freelance projects that they need help with as well, too. Um, things like that, just to keep my mind busy, building my portfolio, and steadily getting some income while I still look for a job. With many post-graduation plans thrown by the wayside, many of the usual motivators to finish out the semester seem to fall apart. I've brought in a third interviewee, another senior named Autumn. I asked them, as well as Alex and TJ, how motivation was finding them. It's so hard to give a sh**. It's just like, I, I'd rather just go out and work and make more money so that way I know I'm secure for a while. Because I'm already, I'm playing catch up in every single regard now. Because everything set this all off. The school, of all things, has actually been like the least stressful thing I have going on right now. Just because it's very specific deadlines. And there's an end date. There's a cutoff time of if your stuff isn't in by, what is it, the 15th, it's just not getting turned in. So it's almost refreshing to have something that is that stern because it lets me not be a perfectionist about my things. I can just do whatever I'm working on to the best of my ability and accept that it's not going to be perfect and then just turn it in and have it be done. So school hasn't been that awful it's life afterwards that's going to be a, a roller coaster not being able to have access to camera equipment lighting equipment audio recording equipment um that's really put a damper on my outlook of it and i'm a little bummed uh this is not the way that i expected it to go um and i'm a little disappointed for school, it's my only motivating factor is, ah, I should do this, shouldn't I? Which wasn't how it was before uh, before quarantine started. Because, again, my motivation, my, like, I guess allocated motivation, we could call it, is directed towards just food and shelter, you know? Um, and just general well-being. The biggest drive right now is making sure that I have the connections from Columbia and the people involved in the Columbia network at my disposal. Because our degree right now is not going to be 
that beneficial financially, just because we're not essential workers of any kind. So it's going to be hard enough finding a job, period. And what's kept me going is knowing that, thankfully, the name of Columbia does hold some weight. Granted, it's not going to be more than just getting your foot in the door, but having people that I can reference is going to help so much when it comes to a creative field like what we have. The future was very uncertain for these students, and it felt like a lot had been taken from them. But for my final question, I asked them what the best silver lining they'd pulled from all this was, and I'll leave you with their answers. Um, since I've moved out of my parents, I've found myself working on music like crazy. Maybe it's because I don't have much set up in my apartment yet. Um, I have a lot of potential to draw creative energy and direct it into my own passions now because I'm not weighed down by anything. Did any of that make sense? I, th I think I got kind of off it towards the end. Just by contrast, every year from now is probably going to be better off. Knock on so much wood, but there's just going to be this amazing contrast between years and perspective of going, yeah, stuff might be weird in 2022, but 2020 had everything, including murder hornets. Next year, during 2021, um, there's like going to be some sort of commencement for the graduates of 2020, and we get to walk across the stage and things like that, because, you know, it's a, it's a momentous occasion. Any hope of that being celebrated has kind of withered not totally diminished because you know you, everybody did pass through that type of stuff but um, it feels like taking that big step isn't necessarily there and the transition from college to working career feels really really scary now. This has been Living in the Time of COVID-19 on WCRX Chicago, a student-produced documentary from the Radio and Audio Documentary Class. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.